Chapter Three, Part Two of Campfire Tales of Jackson Hole, by G. Brian Harry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. November Eighteenth, reached camp in the forenoon, with all the hawking melted out of the seams, and all the ice thawed out of the interior of the boat by the floods of boiling water passed through in the river channel just above took her out of the water and put her on the stocks to be dried out and thoroughly repaired her bottom was a sight to behold the green pine planks were literally shivered by pounding on the rocks the tough striping of the seams two inches or more in thickness was torn away two of the heaviest planks were worn through in the waist of the vessel and three holes were found in her sides the stern was so bruised and stove that we had to hew out a new one we took out the seats floor and bulkheads and this gave us lumber enough to put on a new bottom mended the holes with tin and leather recocked her using candles and pitch mixed for the filling split young pines and put a heavy strip on each seam and made her stronger than ever this occupied the nineteenth which was a stormy day and the twentieth which was clear long enough to enable us to finish the boat when it is remembered that the wood had to be dry before the pitch would adhere and that we were obliged to keep a bed of coals under the boat constantly to effect this on ground saturated with snow water and with the snow falling most of the time it can be realized that the labor was of the most fatiguing description half of the party worked while the others cared for the animals and slept warren here came out as an invaluable member of the party he kept the camp full of trout and we fared sumptuously the stream from shoshone lake is the true snake river and not the one we are on it is twice as large as this one and should be mapped as the main stream from this point we feel sure of plenty of water and will start with a partial load in the boat the strain on the animals has been terrible as they have had to double trip the route almost constantly which means three times the distance of actual progress we have had but little depth of snow and this while favorable in one sense has been detrimental in another as it has allowed the game to run high on the mountains where we had not time to go had there been deeper snow the water supply would have been greater the game would have been forced down to the valleys and we would not have been obliged to use the animals so constantly the problem was to get where the boat would carry the property and make distance before the animals gave out also to get to settlements before rations were exhausted i knew we had the formidable mad river canyon of the old trappers between us and human habitations with plenty of large game in range this would have caused no uneasiness but we were descending daily and leaving the game behind i spent many an hour over this problem studying all the chances and endeavoring to be prepared to act instantly in any possible emergency that might arise the party resumed their travel on november twenty one doane star applegate and white in the boat sergeant server warren and davis with the animals the boat was headed down the now powerful stream applegate steering star astride the bow 
Star and White were armed with spike poles to push her off rocks and guide her into deep channels. All was lovely. Star had just begun to sing one of his favorite missionary hymns, something about the gospel ship is sailing now, when the river made a sudden turn to the left with a boiling eddy, and the boat crashed head-on against the overhanging wall of rock, smashing all the lodge poles and compelling the boisterous singer to turn a somersault backward to save himself from being instantly killed. The gallant little craft bore the shock without bursting, and we went downstream, stern, foremost, a short distance, onto a shelving rock, where an examination developed the fact that nothing was damaged excepting twenty-two fine lodge poles. On November 23, nearing Jackson Lake, the Valley of the Snake was opening before the party. Hundreds of otter were seen. These growled at us in passing from their holes in the bank, not being accustomed to boats. We shot several. An hour later we ran into Jackson's Lake and passed the train just as a mule fell under a log across the trail, stumbled a moment, and died. Camped on the lake shore three miles from the inlet. The following day, both land and water parties progressed along the western shore of Jackson Lake. The train finding terrible severe traveling, climbing over rocks and through tangled forests of pine, aspen, and other varieties of timber. Abandoned one horse. We were too near the mountains to get a full view, but above us rose the huge masses of glistening granites too steep to retain much snow. On the opposite shore are extensive beaver swamps and great areas of marsh, now frozen. The trout bite well, and we have a good supply. Ate our last flour today. Star cooked one of the fine otter killed the day before. The flesh was nice-looking. It was very fat and tempting. Baked in a Dutch oven and fragrant with proper dressing, we anticipated a feast. Were helped bountifully and started with voracious appetites. The first mouthful went down, but did not remain. It came up without a struggle. Only Star could hold it. The taste was delicately fishy and not revolting at all, but the human stomach is evidently not intended for use as an otter trap. Like Bankhouse ghost, it will not go down. We did not try otter again. November 25th. Laid over, giving the stock a rest and repaired boat. Warren kept us well supplied with trout, which were in fine condition. In the afternoon, my attention was called to an object moving in the lake. It proved to be a deer, swimming from the large island across to the opposite shore of the little bay. We had just finished with the little boat, and catching up the big rifle, while the others pushed off, Star and Applegate rowed, me, out to intercept the deer. It saw us coming, and turning to the left, reached the shore about three hundred yards away, where it stopped shivering on the bank. We stopped, and let the boat settle to steadiness, and I fired. The deer was badly hit, and stood still. I fired again, and it fell into the water dead. It was the first game we had killed for a long time, and came in the nick of time. After dragging it into the boat, we found the two bullet holes about three inches apart, and the last one had gone through the heart of the animal. 
when the gun was fired first the whole party turned out along the shore thinking an avalanche was coming and the noise of the second discharge had not ceased when we landed with the game it was an echo we spent hours testing it afterward and surely nothing on earth can equal it the report of the big rifle was followed by a prolonged roar that seemed to eddy in the little bay in a vast volume of condensed thunder then charged up the great channel in a hollow deep growl giving consecutive reports which bounded from cliff to cliff and these re-echoed until far up in the canyon came back a rattle of musketry as on a skirmish line mingled with mournful waves of vibratory rumbling these were succeeded by cracks and rustlings and a moaning sigh which slowly receded and died away far up along the heights time one minute and twenty-five seconds we tried our voices together and the result was deafening and overwhelming there were seven in the party and we were answered back by a hoarse mob of voices in accumulating thousands from the great gorge and these a moment after retreating up the channel called to each other and back at us till the multiplied voices mingled in a harsh jargon of weird and wild receding volume of sound ending in a long moaning sigh and a rustling as of falling leaves among the gleaming spires far away above us i then tried star's tremendous voice alone and had him call o oh, joe with a prolonged rising inflection on the first and an equally prolonged falling inflection on the second word repeating it at intervals of thirty seconds experience had taught us that this call could be heard more distinctly and further in the mountains than any other practiced the sound of his voice at the first call had not ceased when a hundred exact repetitions were reflected to the little bay then a rush of hoarse exclamations followed up the gorge and the fusillade of calls on every rock and cliff answered oh joe and these sounds echoed and re-echoed a thousand times reaching higher and higher along the mighty walls till faint goblin whispers from the cold icy shafts and the spectral hollows answered back in clicking notes and hisses but distinctly always the words oh joe a full band of music playing here would give such a concert as the world has never heard there is a weird unearthly volume and distinctness to the echo here and a chasing afar off and returning of the sounds unequalled and simply indescribable we named this inlet spirit bay the party continued along the lake shore the usual mode of travel being three men in the boat four with the animals on land don's horse was abandoned on november twenty sixth all of the men were violently ill from the deer meat the lieutenant diagnosing the sickness as cholera morbus the party was forced to lay over most of two days but reached the outlet of the lake on november thirty started down river and camped two miles downstream from the buffalo fork on that date the boat having made about thirty miles that day december first moved on down the river sergeant and myself still very weak camped opposite gross ventry butte which is in the middle of the valley and in front of mount hayden 
earlier name for the Grand Teton, and its mighty canyon. From this description, this camp appears to have been opposite Blacktail Butte, in the vicinity of the present location of Moose. During the day, Warren and White followed a herd of elk till dark, but did not get one. Light snow on the ground. Weather warm. At noon, 65 degrees. Distance, 12 miles. The boat now carries all the property, as the animals can carry no more. The river is a fine, broad stream, but the current is that of a mountain torrent, and the channel divides so often that we counted over one hundred islands today. Occasionally, therefore, we came to shoal water by getting in the wrong chute and had to lift her over. The bed of the stream is entirely of coarse gravel and boulders, mostly of granite, and the banks are low. Fishing good, but fresh fish is too thin a diet to subsist on alone. We have now no coffee, sugar, tea, bacon, and worst of all, no tobacco. Nothing but a few beans left. The game is scarce and shy. I cannot hunt and keep the observations at the same time. The boat can now go faster than the stock, but we cannot separate with Mad River Canyon in front of us. A glorious night, moon in the full, but empty stomachs. We are now far enough away from the lakes to be clear of the clouds of vapor and local snowstorms. Our camp is about a central point with reference to obtaining a view of the Tetons, and at a distance of fifteen miles from the nearest part of the range. Distance actually about seven miles. Don't estimate inaccurate. The moonlight view was one of unspeakable grandeur. There are twenty-two summits in the line, all of them mighty mountains, with the gleaming spire of Mount Hayden rising in a pinnacle above all. The whole range is of naked rock, in vast glittering masses, mostly coarse granites, but with some carboniferous and metamorphoses rocks. The splendid colorings of these, sheeted as they were with ice, contrasted finely with the snowy masses in all places where the snow would lie, and with the somber depths of the great avalanche channels and mighty canyons. Of the latter, the grandest is the Teton, Cascade Canyon, which half surrounds Mount Hayden, is four thousand feet deep where it opens out into the valley in front of us has a splendid torrent of roaring cascades in its channel and a baby glacier still at its head the wide valley in front seamed with rocky channels and heaped with moraines is a grim ruinous landscape there are no foothills to the tetons they rise suddenly in rugged majesty from the rock-strewn plain Masses of heavy forests appear on the glacial debris and in parks behind the curves of the lower slopes, but the general field of vision is glittering, glaciated rock. The soft light floods the great expanse of the valley, the winding silvery river, and the resplendent, deeply carved mountain walls. The vast masses of neve on the upper ledges from their lofty resting places shine coldly down and stray masses of clouds, white and fleecy, cast deep shadows over land and terrace, forest and stream. And later on, when the moon had gone down in exaggerated volume, behind the glorified spire of the Grand Teton, Doan must have used the names Mount Hayden and Grand Teton interchangeably, the stars succeeded with their myriad sparkling lights, and these blazed up 
in setting on the sharp-cut edges of the great serrated wall like indian signal fires in successive spectral flashes rising and dying out by hundreds as the hours passed on on the wide continent of north america there is no mountain group to compare in scenic splendor with the grand tetons there was not a pound of food in camp we ate the last beans for supper before going out to make notes on the teton view the weakened party again laid over on the following day they hunted carefully but to no avail since the horses were too weak to carry the riders far afield from the camp and the game was well up in the hills to the east warren that most indefatigable fisherman caught sixteen magnificent trout all of which were eaten for supper warren's horse was shot for food since it was the weakest and poorest of the lot he had not a particle of fat on his carcass and we had no salt or other seasoning drew the powder from a package of cartridges and used it we had been using the same old coffee and tea grounds for two weeks and the decoctions derived therefrom had no power in them no momentum for tobacco we had smoked larb red willow and a rosebush bark all these gave a mockery and a delusion to our ceaseless cravings we chewed pine gum continually which helped a little we boned a quarter of the old horse and boiled the meat nearly all night cracking the bones as well and endeavoring to extract a show of grease therefrom out of which to upholster a delicious and winsome gravy the meat cooked to a watery spongy texture but the gravy sauce was a dead failure horse meat may be very fine eating when smothered with french sauces but the worn-out u s cavalry plug was never intended for food the flesh tastes exactly as the perspiration of the animal smells it is in addition tough and coarse-grained we ate it ravenously stopping to rest occasionally our weary jaws it went down and stayed but did not taste good weather turned colder toward morning river running ice and cakes which screamed and crashed continually through the night for the next several days the party continued without serious mishap other than damage to the boat on two occasions when she crashed into submerged boulders warren continued to take trout successfully the fish and horse meat making up the sketchy bill of fare on december seventh moving through the open country of the southern part of jackson hole sergeant server and davis while hunting found the cabin of a trapper john pierce the old man was greatly surprised to see any one with animals in the upper snake river basin at that time of the year gave the men a substantial meal and some salt which improved our regal fare by somewhat smothering the sour perspiration taste of the old horse he also sent word to me about the settlement below mad river canyon river too shallow for fishing but we had salt on our horse for supper december eighth the old trapper came to our camp before we started bringing on his shoulder a quarter of fat elk also a little flour he was a gigantic raw-boned and grizzled old volunteer soldier we gave him in return some clothing of which he was in need and a belt full of cartridges as he had a big rifle with the same size chamber as mine while talking with him star and davis were busy and soon we had a meal 
the elk meat went well the balance of the flour was reserved for gravies the old trapper gave me explicit and correct information about the settlements below he was trapping for fine furs only mink martin fisher and otter said it would not pay to go after beaver unless one had pack animals and these could not winter in the valley he told me that he had not believed the sergeant's story about the boat at first and throughout his visit was evidently completely puzzled as to what motives could have induced us to attempt such a trip in such a way and at such a season i sent him home on horseback with sergeant server who told me after returning that he had been given another holy meal meantime we worked on down the river with renewed strength among rocks and tortuous channels worked until after dark and camped at the head of mad river canyon fifteen miles the voyage down the grand canyon of the snake mad river canyon was a series of nightmares steadily deepening and narrowing the canyon walls closing in with oppressive gloom the river became almost completely unnavigable it was necessary to handline the boat down boiling rapids drag her over the ice of frozen pools portage the equipment in this manner advancing six to seven miles a day Dones writes that it was very cold in the shaded chasm otter fat and sleek played around us on the ice and snarled at us from the holes in the wall all day long safe from molestation in their fishy unpalatableness we had no time to shoot for sport nor transportation for pelts and no desire for any game not edible all day and as late at night as we could see to labor we toiled to make six miles on december eleven don concluded to split his party no food left but a handful of flour shot white's horse and feasted it was now evident that we were not going to run the canyon with the boat but must tug away slowly we were about forty-two miles from the first settlement if our information was correct but the canyon if very crooked as it had been so far might double that distance i desired to get the boat through if we had to risk everything in order to do so this canyon was the terrible obstacle and we were more than halfway through it apparently the worst had been gone through with all the men agreed to this with enthusiasm we gathered together all the money in the possession of the party and arranged for sergeant server the most active and youngest of the party and warren who could be of no assistance to those remaining as his stomach had begun to give way to go on next day with the two horses and one mule remaining and bring us back rations sergeant server and warren loaded up as planned the following day leaving the lieutenant and the other four men to continue with the boat the river was becoming better the ice foot more uniform and the channel free from frozen pools when all of a sudden the boat touched the icy margin turned under it and the next instant was dancing end over end in the swift bold current all of the horse meat all the property arms instruments and notebooks were in the roaring stream a few hundred yards below there was a narrow place where the ice foot almost touched the middle of the river we ran thither and caught whatever floated the clothing bags valise bedding bundles and the lodge were saved all else excepting one hindquarter of the old horse went to the bottom and was seen no more 
all the rubber boots were gone excepting mine the warm clothing all floated and was saved we dragged in the boat by the tow-line and pulled her out of the water and far up on a ledge of rock six miles after this mess-hap the sergeant and warren who had been travelling along the river bank keeping in contact with the boat party were sent at once on their way while Doan and his men dried out and rested the boatmen fought their way down the river for the next two days but on december fourteenth the boat was hauled high on the bank in an apparently secure place the last of the horse-meat had been eaten for breakfast no food was left the following morning the bedding was stored away in rolls with the valise high up among the rocks and Doan's party started unarmed without food and in an unknown wilderness to find settlements previously described by the trapper pierce seven miles up on a stream which we had no positive assurance of being able to recognize when we came to its mouth that day the men waded the salt river near the present site of alpine having spent seven days in the gloomy depths of the mad river canyon on december sixteen they were moving at the break of day in bitterly cold weather and about noon reached an ice-bound creek which showed signs of placer washings they assumed correctly as it developed that the settlements described by pierce were on this tributary stream due to crusted snow they could make only about a one mile an hour but upon reaching the creek they walked on the ice and were thus able to make better progress some distance upstream the creek forked and the men took the left-hand branch by dark they had determined they were in error they sheltered by a huge fire that night we slept a little but only to dream of bountifully set tables loaded with viands all of which were abounding in fats and oils what conversation there was turned entirely to matters pertaining to food davis talked incessantly on such subjects giving all the minutest details of preparing roasts gravies meat pies suet puddings pork preparations oil dressings cream custards and so on until starr finally choked him off with the otter experience none of us felt the pangs of hunger physically our stomachs were cold and numb we suffered less than for two days before but there was a mental appetite more active than ever it was an agony to sleep all the party evidenced the same mental conditions excepting davis who was hungry clear through sleeping or waking one feeling we had in common it can be found explained in eugene sue's description of the wandering jew we were impatient of rest and all felt a constant impulse to go on go on continually the men did not seem to court slumber and starr had an inexhaustible fund of his most mirth-provoking stories which he never tired of telling we listened laughed and sang afterward we tried to catch a couple of beaver which splashed within a few feet of us all night long had not a firearm in the party and here was the fattest of good meat almost under our hands enough to have fed us for two days with the first gray streaks of dawn they were again on their way working over the ridge to the other fork of the creek which they reached a few hours later a couple of miles further on we stopped to build a fire and warm ourselves 
Davis showed signs of undue restlessness. We had to call him back from climbing the hillside several times. While we were gathering wood for the fire, I found a section of sawed-off timber blocks, such as they use for the bottom of flumes. It had been recently cut on one side with an axe. This satisfied me, without farther evidence, that the mines above were not old placers now deserted. The men were not so sanguine, but were cheerful, and we soon moved on again. In a couple of hours we came to an old flume. Shortly after, Applegate declared he smelled the smoke of burning pine. In half an hour more, we reached a miner's cabin and were safe. We arrived at 3 p.m., having been 80 hours without food, in a temperature from 10 degrees to 40 degrees below zero, and after previously enduring privations as before detailed. Two old miners occupied the cabin, and they were both at home, having returned from a little town above with a fresh stock of provisions. They at once produced some dried bread and made some weak tea, knowing well what to do. We had to force those things down. None of us felt hungry for anything but grease. About this time, to our unspeakable delight, Sergeant Server and Warren also arrived. They had passed the mouth of the creek on the 13th and gone below to the next stream, which they had followed up 14 miles without finding anything, and returning to meet us had found our trail and followed it knowing that we had nothing to eat while they had two horses and a mule with them. Mr. Bailey and his partner now gave us a bountiful supper of hot rolls, roast beef, and other substantial fare, and we all ate heartily in spite of our previous resolutions not to do so. Cold, dry bread had no charms, but hot and fatty food roused our stomachs to a realization that the season of famine was over. The change affected us severely. I had an attack of inflammation of the stomach, which lasted several hours. All of the men suffered more or less, excepting Starr, who seemed to be unaffected. The next day the party moved upstream to the little town, Keenan City, which consisted of a store, saloon, post office, blacksmith shop, stable, and a lot of miners' cabins. Doan found that they had followed McCoy Creek, and that the settlements were collectively known as the Caribou Mining District. The lieutenant records that his weight was down to 126 from a normal 190, and the others were similarly reduced. A jerky stage line operated between Keenan City and the Eagle Rock Bridge on the Snake above Fort Hall, and Lieutenant Doan accordingly prepared the following telegram to be forwarded by the post adjutant at Fort Hall. Commanding Officer, Fort Ellis, Montana. Arrived here yesterday. All well. Write today. Send mail to Fort Hall. Signed, Doan. It was the lieutenant's plan at this time to construct small sleds for the rations and bedding rolls, these to be drawn by the two horses and the mule left to the expedition, and thus proceed downriver to Fort Hall. All was in readiness by December 23, and the party set out, proceeding some twenty miles through Christmas Day. While in camp on the evening of December 26, voices were heard in the river bottom nearby, where a party of troops had just gone into camp. It was Lieutenant Joseph Hall, 14th Infantry, with four men and a good little pack train. I shall never forget the puzzled expression on the face of this officer when he first met me. 
he conversed in monosyllables for a couple of minutes and then told us that he had been sent to arrest a party of deserters half a dozen in number which had been advertised for in the montana papers as having left fort ellis and were supposed to have gone through the park and down snake river thirty dollars each for apprehension and capture the stage driver had read the papers it seems and denounced us to the post commander at fort hall we first had a hearty laugh over the joke and he then placed himself and party at my disposal we sat by the fire and talked nearly all night he was post adjutant at fort hall and evidently knew something more than he felt at liberty to tell me but he denounced major jass s brisbane second cavalry my post commander in unmeasured terms and told me that i was being made a victim of infamous treachery this was a revelation but not a surprise next day sergeant server and four men were sent with fresh animals to recover the boat and the bedding cached up river they returned the following day reporting that it was only fifteen miles by trail on the other side of the river they brought with them the equipment but not the boat which had been crushed to splinters by an ice jam which had piled up in masses twenty feet high this was a bitter disappointment as they found the river open all the way down and we so found it afterwards below here was another strange occurrence in exploring as in hunting there is an element of chance which cannot be provided against no foresight will avail no calculations will detect no energy will overcome caution might prevent but with caution no results will be obtained risks must be taken and there is such an element in human affairs as fortune good or bad i decided at once to make all possible speed to fort hall there refit and returning bring lumber to rebuild the boat on the ground where it had been lost and continue to eagle rock bridge on the snake river previously going back far enough beyond jackson's lake to take a renewal of the system of triangulation and notes lost in the river when the boat capsized at eagle rock bridge it would be necessary to rebuild the boat again in a different form and much larger to run the heavy rapids of the lower rivers to astoria at the mouth of the great columbia the hardships and greater dangers we had already passed with food for one day more we could have made the passage of mad river canyon despite the loss of all our weapons instruments and tools we had run all the rapids but two and these were easier than many others safely passed above all the party enthusiastically endorsed this plan lieutenant doan was indeed a persevering and meticulously thorough individual so much so that he not only planned to return to run the river from the point where he had been obliged to leave off but to retrace his route to a point above jackson lake in order to bring his notes to completion it is difficult to follow his thinking when he indicates his intention of running the columbia to astoria since his orders were to make exploration of snake river from yellowstone lake to columbia river his statement that the greater dangers had already been passed seems incompatible with the hell's canyon of the snake below a section of the river about which Doan must have had some knowledge. Here, indeed, were risks to be taken, with bad fortune certain, quite probably occurring beyond a point of no return. The party continued on December 29 toward Fort Hall, 
with Dolan's journal describing in detail the route followed, the nature of the terrain, and the course of the river. They arrived at Fort Hall on January 4, having been met about halfway between Fort Hall and the Eagle Rock Bridge by ambulances sent to bring them. Captain Bainbridge, commanding officer at Fort Hall, received us with great kindness, and everything possible was done for the comfort of myself and party by all at the post. There followed an exchange of communications between the lieutenant and the commanding officer at Fort Ellis, Major Brisbane, with no reference therein to the charge of desertion. In the meantime, Doan records, We put in at Fort Hall, preparing to get together materials for another boat, intending to renew the expedition from Mad River Canyon. Meantime, I had made one of my centennial tents for Captain Bainbridge. While so engaged on the 8th of January, the following telegram came. Dated, Chicago, Illinois, January 6, 1877. Received at Fort Hall, Idaho, January 8, 1877. To Commanding Officer, Fort Hall, Idaho. You will direct Lieutenant Doan, 2nd Cavalry, with his escort, to rejoin his proper station, Fort Ellis, as soon as practicable. Acknowledge receipt. R.C. Drum, A.A.G. That Doan was very bitter at this turn of events is indicated by subsequent entries in his journal. This was the result. I simply note here an extract from Sergeant Server's journal, the only one left us when the boat capsized. Lieutenant Doan was very mad in consequence of our having to return, and so were all the men, but we tried to make the best of it. Over a year afterward, I received the key to this mystery, and here it is. It will be observed that there is some little truth in it, and much that is false. And bear in mind that my letter and telegram from Keenan City were received on the 28th December, and that I had not yet been heard from at Eagle Rock or Fort Hall. Fort Ellis, January 2nd, 1877. Telegram to Assistant Adjutant General, St. Paul, Minnesota. I hear Doan lost all his horses, seven and mules, three, his boat and camp equipage, even to blankets, lived three weeks on horse meat straight, the last three days before reaching the settlement. His party being without food of any kind, I recommend that he be ordered to his post for duty with his company. Signed, Brisbane, Commanding Post. Accordingly, Doan and four men were returned to Fort Ellis by stage, arriving on January 20, Sergeant Server and White leaving Fort Hall on January 12th, with the expedition's baggage and the extra horse arrived at Fort Ellis on February 2, bringing to close the final stage of the exploration. One last entry in Lieutenant Doan's journal is worthy of mention. In December 1878, I was told by my commanding officer, Major Jass S. Brisbane, that he had disapproved of the expedition from the beginning, and had worked to have me ordered back, because I had not applied for the detail through him. I make no comment. A careful study of the journal reveals statements that can be questioned in light of the latter knowledge. The mellifluous descriptions, the references to hundreds of otter, and some other observations, together with the general tone of the document, may to some readers appear overdrawn. It must be borne in mind, however, 
that the journal was obviously written some time after Doan's return to Fort Ellis, and from Server's notes, since the lieutenant's records had been lost when the boat capsized on December 12th. Server's notes were probably sketchy at best. Much of the writing then was done from memory. That the account is colored by some imagination and a desire to make a good yarn of it is probably true, but forgivable, particularly when one considers the usual tenor adopted by writers of that day. However critical the reader's opinion may be, it cannot be denied that here is an odyssey which defies comparison with any other record of winter exploration of the region. It is fortunate, beyond any reasonable doubt, that Doan's expedition did not continue, that his party could have survived ultimate disaster in Hell's Canyon of the Snake is incomprehensible, that Doan, stubborn and fearless as he was, would have been turned back by any terrors of the river through at him is equally so. Doan was an explorer in every sense of the word. He was determined to overcome all obstacles. He was, in truth, a man to ride the river with. End of chapter 3